If you would, please turn your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, and this afternoon we're in verses 8 and 9. The infamous Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What is the essential difference between Christianity and other religions? What is the essential difference between Christianity and other religions? This was the question someone asked the great evangelist, Billy Graham. And Billy Graham responded with just two words. What do you think they were? Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ is himself the essence of Christianity. He is the story. He is the good news of the gospel. It is not a fantasy. It is true. He came to earth, lived a righteous life, died on the cross for sinners, and rose again from the dead. Jesus gave himself to sinners. He is the gift of saving grace. And a most important question remains. How do I receive the gift? Or, in other words, how do we become saved? Well, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 answers this question. The how. So hopefully you're already there in your Bibles, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The essence of Christianity, see, is not so much about what you do to be saved. It is about what Jesus has done and how you receive him. MacArthur tells a funny story of a man who showed up late to a revival meeting. He rushes to the place of meeting in a panic, knowing he, he was already hours late, and he finds the workmen already taking down the tent. In a panic, he asks one of the workmen, what can I do to be saved? The workman replied, you can't do anything, it's too late. Aghast, the man said, what do you mean it's too late? Can't anybody tell me here what I can do to be saved? And the same workman replied with a smile. He said, the work has already been done. There's nothing you need to do but believe in Jesus. That's a great story, a great illustration of what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us, tells us. So look there with me in your Bible. Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The essence of Christianity is here, grace and faith. Jesus Christ gave himself for sinners, and we receive the gift by faith. The essence of Christianity is not what most other religions are. That is, it is not earned by our own effort or our own religious works. And these are the two points that take us through these two verses. Number one, what Christianity is, 
And number two, what Christianity is not. Why don't we, before we move any further, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you praising you, worshiping you for being so gracious toward us. God, your grace is not just undeserved favor. God, your grace is favor despite our demerit, despite our sinfulness. And that is an amazing, amazing grace. I pray that that grace would be so clear this afternoon as we look at this passage. We would rejoice in it, praise you, thank you for it, boast in you and you alone, and then share that grace with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, what Christianity is. What Christianity is, look back at the text, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a summation statement from the Apostle Paul. It's the summation of the entire section before it. If this isn't the most obvious conclusion to what's already been said, I don't know what else is. By grace, you have been saved. It is a gift from God. It's so clear, isn't it? Here you are at the summit of your salvation, seated next to the champion, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot even begin to think that you're there because of you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us that it is you're there despite of you, despite your transgressions, despite your sinfulness. Kent Hughes writes, the only way to go from the death valley of the soul to the highest heavens of spiritual life is to be carried there by Jesus. Salvation is a gift, and it's a gift of grace. I mean, look at where you were. Uh, Verses one through three, you were dead, you were unable, you were ruled by the devil, Sons and daughters of disobedience, children of wrath. And then see how far you've come. God, by his power with Jesus Christ, made you alive, raised us up, and seated us with him in the heavenlies. What can you say? What can you say sitting next to Jesus Christ? Man, really got myself out of that mess, didn't I? I mean, yeah, Jesus, you did a lot. You died on the cross and you rose again and that's all good, but take a look at this report card. I mean, look at my church attendance. Now remember, Lord, 2020 coronavirus, you're accepting some absences for that, right? Okay. And then, you know, look at all these good decisions I made in my life. More right turns than left, if you know what I mean. I deserve this. How dare us? How dare we even begin to think that we contributed to our salvation in any way? What can we say, seated next to Jesus Christ, but grace, grace, amazing grace. This is something I do not deserve. Bach writes in his commentary, he writes this, It is 
typical to hear divine grace defined as God's undeserved favor. But this simple definition does not really capture the whole idea. The whole passage shows us God's grace is actually God's favor granted to those who deserve his wrath. So it's not just undeserved as if the people who God befriends were neutral. It's an immense act of favor bestowed on those who lie under God's just condemnation for their sins and transgressions. Hence, a better quick definition is God's favor despite human demerit. That's how big the grace of God is. Don't cheapen God's grace by making your previous situation seem a little more pleasant. We are all beggars. Beggars. And God bestows upon us grace. Don't cheapen God's grace by adding some of your own power to the mix. You know, it was 98% God that got me there and 2% me. No, it was all the power of God that made you alive, raised you up, and seated you with Christ in the heavenlies. It's all Him. Salvation is a gift, can't you see? Everything in life is grace. Every good thing in life is grace. What can you say? But grace, grace, amazing grace. One of my favorite songs, written by one of my favorite artists, is called Beggars. And I think it really illustrates this concept well. It's a song, but it reads like a poem. So bear with me, but listen as I read. It says this, All you great men of power, You who boast of your feats, politicians and entrepreneurs, can you safeguard your breath in the night while you sleep? Keep your heart beating steady and sure. As you lie in your bed, does the thought haunt your head that you're really rather small? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. All you champions of science and rulers of men, can you summon the sun from its sleep? Does the earth seek your counsel on how fast to spin? Can you shut up the gates of the deep? Don't you know that all things hang as if by a string over the darkness, poised to fall? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. All you big shots that swagger and stride with conceit, did you devise how your frame would be formed? If you'd be raised in a palace or live out in the streets, did you choose the place or the hour you'd be born? Tell me, what can you claim? Not a thing, not your name. Tell me if you can recall just one thing that's not a gift in this life. Can you hear what's been said? Can you see now that everything's grace after all? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. Grace, grace, God's amazing grace. That is the essence. 
the essence of what salvation is. It is a gift from God. It is not from you. Grace, the first essential element here on how we are saved. And secondly, Christianity is fundamentally a gift of grace. Secondly, Christianity is received by faith. By faith. Look back at the text. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's been said or written, grace is the objective cause or basis of our salvation. And faith is the subjective means by which one is saved. Faith is really the only acceptable response to the gift of salvation. Faith is the only acceptable response to the gift of salvation. Now, where does this faith come from? Where is its origin? That question causes a lot of debate in Christian circles. You have on one hand the Calvinist who says that faith comes from without. God enables the Christian to believe, granting them faith. Then you have the Arminian who will say that it comes from within. Every person has the ability, the responsibility to believe. And there's a hot debate on either side. And there are aspects of each conviction that are true. But what do we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9? What do we see as the emphasis here? Look at your copy of the scriptures. This is not me. This is what the Bible says. It says this, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, the grammar question for us today as we look at this verse, very important for us to unpack this, to understand this, is what is this referring to? You see, I I bold in and capitalize the word this because it is crystal clear, clear as day, in fact, that the second half of verse 8, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So whatever this is, Is not from ourselves, but it is a gift given to us. So what is this? Does this refer only to the salvation by grace part, and does it exclude through faith? That's what some might say. So faith comes from us. The grace of God is the gift that comes from God. Or... Does this refer more to the faith part of the previous clause, which actually grammatically makes more sense because faith is a closer antecedent to this than grace is. But actually, there is a third option that makes the most sense grammatically. You have to see that first phrase as a whole package. In other words, this refers to grace-based salvation received by faith. The whole thing. All of it's a gift. The grace-based salvation is a gift from God, and the faith to receive it is a part of the gift. To say it bluntly, faith is a gift. It is a gift. If you're looking for another proof text of that, you can go to Philippians chapter 1. I have it up here on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 29. This is another verse that makes it so clear. 
says, for it has been granted to you, in other words, given, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Two infinitives there, believe and suffer, and they are inextricably connected to the main verb, which is that it was given to you, it was granted to you. Philippians 1.29 tells us that faith is a gift from God, and get this, so is suffering that follows. Have you thought about that? The suffering that came with 2020 could have been a gift from the Lord to sharpen you, to purify you, to purify the church. We don't know. But going back to the point that needs to be made, faith is a gift. It is a gift. Now you might be thinking, if that's true, Morgan, then the scriptures have to contradict themselves because God holds us responsible to believe. Well, you're absolutely right. John 3.16, not about the contradiction, but about the part that God holds us responsible to believe. John 3.16 makes it very clear in, in verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So yes, God enables the sinner to believe. And yes, sinners are held responsible, nay, condemned, if they do not believe. It is at this point that some would say, that's not fair. Have you heard that before? Maybe you're thinking it now. How could God choose some to have faith and not others? How can God condemn a man for not believing when that man does not have the ability in himself to believe apart from God? And if you're struggling with this or you have a friend who's struggling with this, I want to refer you to Romans chapter 9. It answers that question explicitly. Romans chapter 9, verses 13 to 23. I'd encourage you to do some self-study there, but for the purpose of this message and for the sake of time and our focus, we're not going to go through it, but I'm going to rush to the answer here. But refer to and study to Romans chapter 9, verses 13 to 23. The question of, is this fair? How could God choose some to have faith and not others? But consider this one of the antinomies of Scripture. Write that word down, antinomy. Antinomy. What is an antinomy? An antinomy is an apparent contradiction between two truths that cannot be resolved by human reason. An antinomy is an apparent contradiction between two truths that cannot be resolved by human reason. Some refer to it as a theological paradox. Now, this is not the only one in Scripture. You all believe in another theological paradox, an antinomy. The doctrine of the Trinity. You know the doctrine of the Trinity. If you're an Orthodox Christian, we all believe it, Arminian or Calvinist or 
whoever in between. It is the antinomy that God is one in essence, yet God is three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a theological antinomy. You try to reconcile those truths in your head and you're going to have a headache. You can't. You can't rationalize it with human reason. And here we come to another one. God is truly sovereign in salvation. That is, he enables man to believe. Yet, man is truly responsible in salvation. The man believes or will be punished if he does not. Try to reconcile those two truths in your head. You'll get a headache. But we must believe that both are true because both are revealed to us in the scriptures. And don't fret. If you haven't worked it out in your head, don't worry because God has it all worked out in his. Amen. And we serve a God of infinite wisdom. While we admit that we as men, human beings, have finite wisdom, finite understanding. It is the only acceptable response to salvation. The only way to receive the gift. So share the gospel, call sinners to faith, and then pray like crazy that God would grant it to them. That's how we respond. But what is this faith? What is this faith? When you call someone to believe or to have faith, what are you asking them to do? The word faith in the scriptures here, you see it is pistis. It basically can be translated as trust or to have confidence in. The word faith always uh, has an object. Uh, In other words, you must have faith in someone or in something. And so the object of the Christian faith is obvious. It's Jesus Christ. So faith fundamentally is trust or confidence in Jesus. A popular illustration of faith is is the chair illustration. Maybe you've heard of it. Honer writes in his Ephesians commentary, uh, he compares faith in Christ to trust in a chair. You're all sitting in pews, so this illustration works. He writes this, As one who trusts in a chair for support because it's trustworthy, so one trusts in God's gracious salvation because God is reliable and trustworthy. To take this illustration a step further, my mom received a chair as a gift on Christmas. I'm not lying. My mom received this beautiful sitting chair so that she can sit next to her fireplace. My mom loves the fireplace. Beautiful chair, beautiful workmanship, the the wood and the cushions. And it was so, so, so comfortable. And so my mom gets this gift for Christmas. Let me ask you this. What do you think my mom did after she saw the gift? She sat in it. She sat. She, you know, jumped for joy, said, oh my goodness, I love it. And then she sat in it immediately. And she sat in that chair for the remainder of the day. In fact, I think she fell asleep in the chair that night. She loved it. And she sat in it. She placed her trust, if you will, in this chair. And that was the appropriate response. We would expect that. 
Now let me ask you this. Let me ask you, what, what do you think or how do you think my father would feel if she responded to the gift this way? If she said something like, oh honey, I love the chair, kind of sarcastically. You know, I, I really needed a chair and I asked for a chair and, well, there's a chair. And my dad would say something like, well, why, why don't you sit in it, honey? Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm not going to sit in it yet. You know, I'll, I'll sit in the chair when I really need it. You know, after my back's been sore from sitting on the floor or the stone hedge gets a little bit uncomfortable, then I'll sit in the chair. Or, you know, I'll sit in the chair after I see one of you sit down in the chair first because I want to make sure that it holds my weight. But, oh, honey, I love this chair. And she walks away, never sits in it, and acts as if it doesn't exist. Would you say that my mom really loves the chair? No. Not if she doesn't sit in it. Not if she ignores it and acts like it doesn't even exist. Did she ever have faith or trust that the chair would hold her weight? No. She didn't prove it by sitting in the chair. You know, it's a ridiculous example. It's a you can't imagine somebody responding to a gift that way except for American Christianity. There are a lot of so-called Christians who claim faith that looks more like that. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I just don't want to give up blank yet. Or, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I'll, I'll wait to use him when I really need him. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to take him seriously until my friends and family do first. Oh, I love Jesus, but they walk away and live their life pretending that he doesn't exist. What would you say about their faith? Listen, faith is not simply rational assent. It's not... Uh, stagnant in time profession. Oh, I, I made a profession of faith 10 years ago. It's not a temporary emotion that you feel. Faith is whole life trust in Jesus Christ. Everything you are, everything you have, everything you do depends wholly on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is genuine faith. That's the gift of faith. Jesus is the chair. He's the gift that's been offered to you. Have you placed your trust and confidence in Him? Grace is not cheap and neither is faith. Faith is surrender. Faith is trust. Faith is confidence in one person. Jesus Christ. So don't present a cheap grace. Don't present a cheap faith. Call your family members, your neighbors, your friends to trust in Jesus because it is the only means by which they can be saved. Grace and faith. The gift is Jesus Christ. How do you receive him? By faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. That's what Christianity is. 
Now, with the remainder of our time, let us look at what Christianity is not. Number two, point number two, what Christianity is not. If you want to write something down, it's pretty obvious by verse nine, but here it is. Christianity is not a works-based religion. Christianity is not a works-based religion. If that's not obvious already, he makes it even more obvious in verse 9. <laughs> Look, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's three negatives. Verses 8 and 9. Uk, uk, metis. Not, not, no one. You've got to pay attention to those negatives. Pay attention to words that repeat. It's not your own doing. It's not your works. And it's not your credit. It's all his. All in the gift of Jesus Christ. Again, Honer writes, in short, one does not work to support oneself in the chair. Nor does one work to obtain salvation. Rather, one relies, or you could say one sits in, what God has accomplished in His Son at the cross 2,000 years ago. I love what uh, the preacher Steve Lawson says on this point. He says, we are indeed saved by works. But it's not your works. They are the works of Jesus Christ in His perfect life, death, and resurrection. Oh, hear this. It is not you. It's not because of you, and it's not about you. It's all Him. Christian salvation, Christianity, is not something we earn by works. Has that point been made clear? Paul provides a good reason for it at the end of verse 9. You see that? Look in your Bibles. So that no one may boast. Oh, make sure that no one takes any credit for what God has done. So that no one may boast. Because see, if we had anything to do with our salvation, if we had just a minor contribution, maybe just 1% of our own power, we'll give God 99, but we'll take 1%, then there is even a small reason for us to boast. But Paul says, no, 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 no. No one can boast. Except God. God alone can boast because God alone can save. You know, popular in the Greco-Roman culture and even popular in our Western culture today is to name buildings or to write notices on buildings acknowledging the generosity of the benefactor, the giver. Our colleges do this. $35 million dollars. $35 million from the fortune of aerospace company founder Gordon Marshall. You might be familiar with the name. $35 million persuaded USC to name its business school after him. The Marshall School of Business. University of Southern California. $45 million. He did 10 more. $45 million from the Gonda family put their name on UCLA's neuroscience and genetics Research Center. $45 million 
and you can have your name on one of California's premium university buildings. $100 million. Can I get $100 million from founder or uh, furnace company founder Henry Rowan to rename Glassboro State College in New Jersey Rowan College. You can rename a university for $100 million. Anybody ready to make that donation? Actually, Paul's audience in Ephesus would understand this well. Actually, they, they would have a, a physical proof of this kind of, uh, this kind of cultural thing going on. Um, in Ephesus, a familiar grand archway, this massive stone archway, would lead people into the uh, central market in the middle of the city. It's an incredible uh, piece of architectural uh, or an incredible arch- architectural structure, beautiful. Uh, I believe you can see the remains of it even today in Ephesus. And this arch was funded by two imperial freedmen of Augustus. Their names were Mosaic and Mithridates. Of course, their names were etched into the stone of the archway so that everyone who passed through this archway into the grand central market would see their names, would remember the two men, and give them credit for being so generous in donating this structure to the community. Consider God's gift of salvation. This masterpiece This beautiful, beautiful story. This life-changing work that God wrought in your life. He raised you up and seated you in the heavenlies with Christ. Consider His masterful work of salvation. Could any of you write your names on it? Could any of you take any credit for what God has done in your heart and in your life? Should we? No. No one can boast. No one can take any credit for the amazing, amazing salvation that God brought about in your life. No one can boast except God alone, of course. On your life should be the imprint. The imprint of God's grace, a mark that it is all Him and none of you. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 says this, And because of Him, you are in Jesus Christ, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christianity is not our work, it is His. Therefore, Christianity is not a boast in us. It is a boast in him. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you boasted in the Lord? When was the last time that you bragged about the grace of God in your life? Did you do it at all in 2020? I'm convicted asking myself that question. Did you publicly acknowledge to anyone the grace of God that's transformed your life? Are you boasting in Him? Are you teaching your children? Are you teaching your children to boast in Jesus? 
Or do you teach them to boast in their own efforts and their own achievements? Do you gently remind them, oh, praise God for what he's doing in your life. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you. Let's thank God because we know that every good gift comes from heaven. Let our only boast be in God. Let no one boast in themselves. Christianity is not a works-based religion. It is not about you. It's about God and what he has done in your life. Let me ask you another convicting question that I thought about in studying and preparing for this text. Do you inadvertently show your children a works-based salvation? Maybe you teach them the grace-based salvation that we see in scriptures, but you show them a different religion, a works-based salvation. What do you mean, Morgan? Let me ask you these Convicting questions. Do your kids have to earn your love? Apply this to friends and neighbors. You don't have children. Do they have to earn your affirmation? Is your love or your affirmation of them dependent upon their works? Do they only boast about everything they did at the dinner table? And do they take their own credit for it? And do you praise them for what they did? Do your kids, your friends, or family members always receive punishment for every crime? Is there grace and mercy in your language? Do you fail to admit your own faults when you're wrong? Do you nag them more often about their religious duties like uh, Bible reading, prayer, and church attendance, but less often on their trust and their love relationship with Jesus? If the answer is yes to most of those questions, how will they ever understand grace and faith? If you show them a works-based religion and not teach and show the grace and faith that comes in salvation. Show your kids, show your family members, show your friends what Christianity is, not what it is not. People really have a hard time with these truths, grace and faith. They have a hard time with it. On the one hand, people reject grace because they pridefully depend on their own works. On the other hand, people presume on grace because they love their sin. On the one hand, people reject faith because it's exclusive and it's costly. On the other hand, people manipulate faith to make it what they want, inclusive and comfortable. At the core of all these lies is pride. Pride. Pride is the antithesis of Christianity. Pride. Man-centeredness. At the core of every sinner 
is a desire to live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our own body and mind. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us. That's at the core of every sinner. Pride. Pride. Dependency upon self. A boast in self. Pleasure in self. Pride keeps men and women away from grace. Keeps them away from faith. And it keeps them away from Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, even Christians, even Christians can fall back into the clutches of pride and live like the old man. Go back to slavery. Go back to those old desires, pleasures. Even us, even we can fall back into those clutches. May it not be so. We all need a healthy dose of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We need this reminder to live our lives, not just to rationally assent to these theological truths, but to live our lives on the basis of grace and to live by faith, especially in 2021. Some reminders. It's not because of you or about you. It's about Jesus and because of him. Solus Christus. It's because of grace and grace alone. Sola gratia. It's received or we receive him by faith and faith alone. Sola fide. Boast in him and him alone. Soli Deo Gloria. May we live our lives based on the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would grant us faith. God, give us a strengthened faith. I pray that you would give new faith to those who don't have a relationship with you, who are not in Christ, who don't know and love Jesus. I pray that you'd give them new faith this afternoon. God, and for those of us who have faith, who've been granted faith, God, I pray that you would strengthen it, grow us in our faith. Pray that we'd be more dependent upon you, more trusting in you than anything else, any government or any other person or thing. We would trust in you, God. And I pray that we would be examples, that we would show and display grace. It wouldn't just be a a theological truths that we affirm, but that we would live on the basis of grace. I pray that grace would exude out of us because it has been so given to us. Oh, your grace is amazing, overwhelming. May we be people that live out the grace that has been granted to us. May we be a generous people, a forgiving people. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.